Hallelujah, church. You can be seated. Welcome. It's good to see you this morning. Grateful for our opportunity to gather together and to be encouraged in God's word. And just the songs that we've already begun to sing today about who Jesus is and what he's done, that there is none greater or higher, that he's the foundation that we build our life on, that the grave is truly empty, and that our Savior is living and active and alive. That, my friends, is worthy of celebration. Celebration, and it's worthy of the dedication of our hearts. For those of you that are new this morning, my name's David, and I'm one of the campus pastors here at MCC, and if we haven't had an opportunity to meet, or maybe we have met in other parts of our life, I am glad that you are here today, that we can be encouraged in what God is doing in our life and live differently because of who he is as we surrender to his lordship, just like we saw this last Saturday night with Mr. Gavin Brucker, who gave his life to Jesus Christ and was immersed through baptism. Gavin is one of our freshmen in college. He's going into USI this fall, and he's getting ready to leave in the next couple of weeks. And I just want to remind those of you that maybe are out of the loop a little bit on this season for young adults, specifically with college. These next few weeks are really big for them. Um, because they're going back into places that sometimes they don't feel like they're at home in, um, that they spend a lot of times in dorms that are subpar <laughs> to what a standard would be. Um, they're eating the same thing every single day, it seems like, um, and oftentimes they're incredibly lonely, especially those that call MCC their home, the ever-growing group of them. And so my encouragement for you is that you would be in prayer for our young adults, are 20-somethings right now that are getting ready to go back into that world, be back into college, whether here or away. And if you have influence, or maybe you just start to recognize some faces and hears of our 20-somethings, the thing that would mean the most to them, two ways. One, write them a card, letting them know how much you see them um, and how much you care for them and the prayer that you have for their life. And that can be handed to them even in a service over the next couple of weeks or you can ask me for their address, even for their campus address. The other thing is be bold enough to bring them to your home and have a meal with them. Like let them sit at your table in your house and eat a home-cooked meal. They do not want Chick-fil-A nor Chipotle. That stuff gets old really quickly. But a meal in your home around your dinner table with your crazy kids means a lot. And so I hope that you'll use that as an opportunity over the next couple of weeks to do just that. This weekend, I invite us to turn in the New Testament book to Matthew chapter 5. This week in our F260 reading where we've been walking through the Bible and all the foundational passages from Genesis to Revelation, this week we camped out in Matthew and we were looking specifically at Jesus's teaching in Matthew on the Sermon on the Mount, which is a powerful teaching that has a lot of weight to it and to be quite honest with you, is sometimes taken out of context um, and used in ways that it was not intended to be used. What we're going to see this morning in Matthew chapter 5 is that Jesus explains the impact of a life that is found in him on the world. We're going to see that there is a drastic and dramatic difference of a life that is found in Jesus to the world that is seeking to a world that, as we're going to talk about today, is decaying. And so with that, let me pray for us. Father, thank you 
for this morning and thank you for your word that redirects, that encourages, that equips us in every good work starting internally in our heart and allowing that to overflow into every aspect. Father, I pray this morning that you'd make us ready for application to see you at work in your text. And God, that we would live transformed by it. We thank you for your son who has empowered us to have the Holy Spirit that brings to light these words on page that is your very breath. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter five, verse 13 is where we're gonna pick up. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how then can it be made salty again? Indeed, it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and to be trampled under foot. Let me begin with this. What is salt good for? Tell me some things that you use salt in your life for. Seasoning, yep. Like when your mama makes that food that ain't no good, you put extra salt on it and it goes down a little smoother. I feel you. I can't eat my greens unless they're covered in salt. I'm with you. I'm with you. What else is salt good for? What is shooting bugs? That's right. That's a new thing, isn't it? Really? Yeah, you can put it in this little uh, salt gun and uh, you can take it and pump it up and you can shoot like flies out of the air with clumps of salt. Now, back in the first century, they were not shooting bugs um, with salt, okay? Um, that was not what they were doing. But that didn't mean that salt wasn't important. In fact, salt was an incredibly important commodity in the first century, especially within the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire believed that, except for the sun, salt was one of the greatest commodities to have because it had so many purposes. In fact, Roman soldiers, when they were out on their great expanse, oftentimes would have been paid in salt, a wage of salt. In fact, that's where we get our term for salary. If you look up the root of that word, you can see that it has the same root of salt. And we still use that language today, right? When we say someone is lazy, they are not worth their weight. Yeah, that's right. I hear you, right? That's, no, they're not worth their salt is sometimes how we phrase that. And so when Jesus uses this word, you are the salt of the earth, it had a deep Meaning, And if you were here on Wednesday for midweek, we are talking through a parable series on why Jesus told parables and how word pictures in our mind help us to connect the things up here to the application in here and how that can prompt us to remember things. And so when Jesus would have told this, his listeners would have leaned in and they would have started to make some applications. Applications like how salt preserves Salt, especially in this time, was used to preserve things. Salt has a component that pushes back decay and keeps things from rotting away. Remember, in this time, there wasn't an ice chest necessarily that you could put your meat in. There, there wasn't a uh, Ziploc bag or a dry aging that would have taken place here, right? This would have been something where they would have taken salt or a salty brine towel, and they would have wrapped their meat or the things that would have gone to rot 
in that so that way it would preserve it for longer. In fact, it's still a common practice even in the 20th century. There was a missionary that lived out in East Africa. His name was Philip Keller, and he describes this idea of what happens when we don't have something to preserve meat amongst the heat. He said it was absolutely imperative He said, under the high temperatures and hot weather of the region, decay and decomposition of meat was astonishingly rapid. We did not have a winter weather or a way to cool it. Besides this, the swarms of flies soon hovered over the butchered carcass. And the only way to prevent them from rotting was to soak the slabs of meat in a strong salt solution. As I read this quote this week over and over again to just be reminded of it in the teaching, I didn't know that I was going to see this applied even on Friday night. This uh, Friday night, I went with my family up to Patoka Lake for an overnight there. Anybody lake people that go up there? Yes? Some of you are like, I don't know if I can be a lake person anymore after Dave's teaching a couple weeks ago. He said, don't go to the lake anymore, but it's okay. You can still go to the lake. I went on Friday night and I'm still alive, right? So the Friday night we go up there, we're at the lake and uh, we smoked some ribs and uh, we had a little bit of chicken in the smoke, you know what I'm saying? And we were able to put that out. We ate it. It was wonderful. Until that night when coons and skunks came in an army and swarmed our camper area looking for the smell of this meat, looking for leftover trash that they could rummage through. And it's just that reminder of there has to be something that preserves it. Now, thankfully, we had a fridge to be able to put it in, but this is the context here, that without something to preserve, without something to keep, it's going to decay. It's going to be robbed. It's going to be taken And we as Christians, the application here is that we have been given the spirit of God, the message of reconciliation as believers, to be able to push back the decay of the world and to keep back the rot and evil temporarily. Do not forget, my friends, that the world is not going to become a better place until Jesus returns. Decay and rot are inevitable. But as people who have the spirit of God living inside of them, we have a mission, a saltiness to us that helps us to be able to wrap people in the good news of Jesus Christ so that their life would be better, that the decay of sin and evil would be postponed. The other thing that salt does is it creates thirst. You know, uh, Ben, if I were to take one of these salt cubes right here um, and I were to give this to you um, to suck on for the service like a gobstopper, um, you would find yourself in the lobby very quickly getting another bottle of water, right? Because salt has a tendency to drive us to want to drink more. It dehydrates us. Those of you that are in the 4-H world or you just finished up at the fair, you know that when you have an animal that is not drinking water, one of the tactics that you can use is you can slip a salt tablet under their tongue and it will drive them to want to drink water. In the same way, Jesus articulates to the woman at the well what? He says, I can give you something that's better than this well that you keep drinking from. I can give you living 
water. That's how he describes this saving grace that's been displayed. And when Jesus describes us as the salt of the earth, we need to recognize that because of the message and the life that we carry, there is a natural thirst that people want that. There's a drive for more. We, as believers in Jesus, need to be living lives and sharing things of God that creates a thirst of more living water that Jesus has promised. Not that we give, but that Jesus gives. The other thing that salt does is it stings. Ever have an open wound and you find yourself getting salt into it? A couple of weeks ago, I ran a Tough Mudder uh, 10K with a few buddies um, up in Columbus, Indiana. Now, you may think to yourself, David, what were you doing running a 10K? You're not exactly a runner of sorts. But that's why I brought these buddies along with me, all right? So I brought these three guys that their obstacle, in addition to the other 20 obstacles, was to push, pull, and carry me through all of those things. The side effect of being pushed, pulled, carried, and heaved over all of these things that is that from top to bottom, I was just scraped, right? My hands were cut up. My arms were all wild. My legs were just nasty. Some of you even recognized that when I came in here after the race on Saturday and you saw me up here, I had blood, whatever, on my elbows and stuff. But I respect the fact that you respect me enough to not ask what happened, right? Like you just know that I might live that life and it's okay. I respect that you respect our boundaries in there. But after the race, I did what any good runner does, any great athlete. I found myself at a fast food restaurant called Culver's, right? (laughs) And I began to order a chicken tender basket, which comes with salty french fries. And I reached my hand in to the salty french fries with my hands being the way that they are. And I was quickly reminded of the fact that salt stings. In the same way, we as followers of Jesus, we carry a message that convicts and it stings. Why? Because in every person's life there is an open wound of sin that has come into all of us. And we have been invited as believers in Jesus to share the truth that sin leads to death. It leads to ultimate separation from God that on our own, we cannot be good enough to inherit the kingdom of God, that in our own decision-making, we have deserved hell and the wrath of God. That message to someone who has not yet heard that or who has tried to push that off in their life, that stings. It burns sometimes. It causes us to recoil or to hide away. But we also have good news. We have the good news, the flavor of hope found in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection as the payment for our sins, which is the last and my personal favorite effect of salt that you guys have already talked about, which is salt seasons. As people who have accepted the invitation of God's grace, we now have tasted and seen that he is good. We have applied a seasoning to our life that makes our life better, but not just like momentarily better, eternally better. We have now been seasoned with hope eternal. It's very similar to when we have that big, 
bucket of popcorn at the theater, right? We sit down, it's covered in butter. We get to our seat, we take that first bite and we recognize, man, this thing doesn't have enough salt on it. So we go back over, we finish it up with the popcorn salt or we add that right seasoning to it. And when we take that first bite, we say, man, that's delicious. That's just right. That's what I was missing. And when we recognize that what we have is good, our response to that, even in a bucket of popcorn, is to take that and to share it with somebody, right? And the good news about what we've received in Jesus Christ is just like that bucket of popcorn you get at the Great Escape Cinema, the big one, is it doesn't run out. You can keep going back for more and more and more. And so what you have to share is important to a world that is looking into gatherings like this with people that claim to be Christ followers that have a seasoning to their life that is different and that is attracted to them, they are asking, are you willing to share what you have received with me? Can I have a handful of that? And we as believers have been given a charge to be the people that go ahead and we extend the invitation to say, taste and see. You have got to give this a try. You see, the work that Jesus has done has transformed us and called us to be different than the world. But it's more than just a work that we check off of the box. Look at verse 13 again. This thing that Jesus has called us to is our very identity. He says, you are the salt of the earth. This text does not say when it's convenient or you have the time, please try and be more salty. When you're feeling it, extend salt. He said, you have an identity now. You are a representation of the salt of the earth. In him, we are the salt of the earth that preserves, that creates thirst, that stings, and that seasons and the question is not, am I salt? The question is, what effect are my having on the people around me? What is the influence that I have in people's lives? Jesus doesn't just address the fact that we are salt in all these situations, but he also goes on and he talks about how we can lose our effectiveness. Look again, he says, if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and to be trampled underfoot. Now, some may be confused by that passage, especially if you understand the scientific or the molecular makeup of salt, right? Anyone familiar with the molecular makeup of salt? What is it, Angie Rieger? That's right. Sodium chloride is the molecular makeup of salt. And sodium chloride cannot stop being sodium chloride. But what can happen to sodium chloride on a molecular level is that it can become diluted when there are other things that are added to it, like water. Have we allowed for our life as the salt of the earth to become diluted or watered down by the impurities that we have so allowed ourselves to come into our life? Jesus' teaching here on the Sermon on the Mount reinforces so many truths about how we need to seek him, seek him, seek him. 
He said, I've come to tell you these things so that you would go after me, that you would stop chasing the things of the world because the more things that you chase of the world, the more stuff that you allow in, the more impurities that you apply to your life, you are losing your saltiness. You are still salt because you have believed in me. My grace covers you, but your effectiveness by looking like the world and not looking like me who is different is causing you and it's causing the people around you to stumble. Hear me out. We can never stop being salt, but we can lose our effectiveness and saltiness in the world around us by being contaminated or watered down by the influence of the world. I want to ask us this morning, what effect does our presence or involvement in situations or in people have around us? Is it evident that we have trusted as Jesus says for us to trust in him. Over the last six, seven years, I have found myself in the chair of the same barber. Um, Several of you guys and ladies, you know about going to the same person over and over. This week, they did not get to my hair, and that's okay. But uh, this barber is down in New Albany, and uh, we've created a relationship over the years where we consider each other like family. And uh, this barber understands that there is a God, but not quite sure exactly on that relationship piece or where that quite sits. But in those moments where I am entangled in their shears um, and I am uh, being cut up by them, we get to have a lot of great conversations about what we do in life and the things that happen in my life and the things that happen in their life. And it's created conversations that we don't see eye to eye on. There's been an interest from them about what it is that God has done in my life, but there's also been some questioning about how that application could come into theirs. But what really struck me is about a year and a half ago, that barber called me out of the blue, looking up my number in their request book or their booking um, schedule. They called me because their father had passed away unexpectedly. Um, And they asked if I could meet them in the lobby and to just share about what it is that God may be doing with that. And let me assure you, that conversation had a lot of great saltiness to it. Saltiness that invited, seasoning of hope, but there are also moments that really stung. But all of that has led to even more deeper conversations where that barber has found themselves here several times over the last year and a half exploring who it is that God is and what he's done. But here's what we also know is that it doesn't always go like that, does it? It's not always that picture perfect. In fact, two weeks ago, I took the kids to the free aquarium, um, which is in Clarksville, Indiana. It's also known as the Bass Pro, for those of you that might not know. The free aquarium um, is something that we visit quite often. And you know, you go into the front, they got the big open glass, and my kids just love looking at the fishies. But uh, you'll notice that just to the right of the free aquarium, there is a special group of individuals um, known as timeshare sellers. And they love to have conversations about 
uh, enjoying life to the full, right? And so I'm walking up two weeks ago, and I just had this inkling in my heart as I'm walking past um, the different stuffed animals in there, and I see that guy, and he's getting ready to make a beeline because he knows that I'm an easy sell. Like, you can read it on my face. He's coming for me, and I say, you know what? Not today. I'm going to go meet that guy. And so I went to him, right? Like, I walked straight over to him. I stuck my hand out, and I said, hey, my name is David. And of course, at that moment, he was like, whoa, no one ever does that to me. And instead of allowing this conversation to be centered around timeshare, I just started asking about who he was and what his family was like and a little bit about his story. And we were getting to the point where we were getting ready to share the gospel in this moment. Like it was coming, the gospel conversation was there, but then all of a sudden it was like this hard stop. And he looked at me and he said, what do you do for a living? And I said, well, I am a a pastor. And in that moment, he stuck his hand right back out to me. He shook it and he walked straight back to the booth. Didn't say bye, didn't close the conversation. It was over at that point. And I think about that in our lives when it comes to being the salt of the earth, being different than the world around us, is that there's gonna be times where there is an attractiveness, there's a seasoning, there is a, a hope that people want in that. And there's gonna be other times where it's gonna sting. But that should not change our approach to the fact that this is who we are. And if this is who I am, this is what God has called me to do. And not only has Jesus called us to be the salt of the earth, if you look at how that verse continues on, he says that you are also, verse 14, what? The light of the world. Last week, Dave went in and talked specifically about how this light of the world has come to shine in the darkness. And specifically, what we talked about is how the darkness has not overcome it, that it has become itself a bright light so that other people may be able to see this thing. I brought an oil lamp for us today just to try and help us to articulate that. Those of you looking at me right there, you're like, that brother is way too young to know how to work an oil lamp. You are wrong. I do know how to work an oil lamp. Not great, but close. What we talked about last week is that the light of Jesus, it guides us and it gives us direction. Light is similar to salt, but it has its own differences. Like how light gives us the ability to see and expose danger. How light can warm or it can warn us of things that are going on. But most importantly, light, especially when Jesus is talking about it here in the first century, is meant to be seen. In the ancient world, light was not something that people played with. Light was a sacred instrument in their homes and in their life. Light was cared for, it was looked after, and light was elevated, why? So that it could be seen. Jesus goes on here and he says that a town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and what does it do? It gives light to everyone in the house. Now, we, as disciples of Jesus, have been given a light from Christ through the Holy Spirit that shines through us. 
This light is needed to be seen by the world around us. It is indeed something that we need to elevate past our own self and allow for it to be seen. In the same way, verse 16 says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus is making it clear that as we are the salt of the earth, the light of the world, that we have an ultimate purpose. And that is to glorify our Father in heaven. The reason why we do these things is so that we would not receive glory, but rather he would receive it. Which goes to the heart of the matter for today. Which is, what is my purpose? What am I good for? It is a question that is being asked in all levels, in all ages, and in all places of the world. It's that identity crisis of why was I created? Why all of this? What's the purpose of my life? And for every individual that has breath in their lungs, there is a purpose for your life that is universal, that is eternal, and that is to know God and to make him known. That's where it all comes from. We talk about being salt of the earth. We talk about being light of the world. That does not come through our works or our deeds or the things that we so try to force to make happen. It comes from knowing who God is and allowing him to overflow in our life so that a world may see and taste that he is good. You and I are not good at everything. But we have been called to those two things. To know him and to make him known. And without him, we are good for nothing. Let that humble us today. That on our own, we can try really, really hard. And we can try to make a difference in the world. But do not be fooled. The only reason you even have existence today, the only reason that I even have breath in my lungs today is because a loving and gracious God created me and put me together in my mother's womb. Jesus reminds us in John chapter five. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing, friends. For if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away, it withers, and such branches are picked up and they're thrown into the fire and they're burned. Perhaps today, the reason why we are not as salty or we are not as brightly shining as we should is because we're in our own way. Our own thoughts, our own actions, it has diluted the saltiness that God has given to us. It is covering the light that wants to shine into the darkness. Perhaps today we have found ourselves living in the shadows, separated from God because of our choice not to believe and trust in him as Savior and Lord. Know that he has made a way for you through Jesus Christ. 
And there doesn't have to be a timeline on the table of I need to learn this and then I need to know that and then I need to execute this many Sunday school classes before I'm able to accept him as Lord and Savior. His invitation for you is to repent and to believe, to trust in him through baptism for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit that seals you for eternal life. And once you've done that, you now have acquired the Holy Spirit You now are the salt and light to a world that is decaying and is lost in the dark. Don't miss this. When Jesus said, you are the salt, he said, you are the salt to what? Salt of the earth. When he said, you are the light, he said, you are the light of the what? The light of the world's. He did not say that you are the salt when you walk into the doors of your church building, that you are the light when you sit in the rows of your pews. He said, I'm calling you to dark places. I'm calling you to a world that is lost and decaying because of sin. And my friends, let me remind us today that there are still people groups on this planet that have still yet to hear of the gospel of Jesus Christ because they are living in the darkness of their government or of their spiritual realities. And there are still people that are afraid of the dark that have not gone to them to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And that is not just reserved to other sides of the world. There are still dark places in the cubicles of your work, in the hallways of your schools, in the bedrooms of your homes, that we as people need to recognize who we are in Christ and go to dark places. Because we carry the light. Because we are the salt. And God has called us to do so. But my friends, remember, you do not do that on your own. Jesus has promised to you is that surely I will go with you to the very end of the age. Do not forget your identity in Christ Jesus. And do not forget the call that he's placed on your life. May you accept the invitation that he's given you to believe and to trust. But may you also live on mission to be salt and light to a world that is in desperate need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's stand together and pray. Lord, thank you for your word and for your truth that has called us from the pits of our darkness and into your marvelous light. Father, I pray for us who have believed in you that we would be empowered and emboldened to be your messengers, to be salt and light to a world that is in need that you've called us to. May you equip us to do so for those in the room today or for those online that are listening and they need to identify as your son and daughter. I pray that they would come running to you, that they would stop living in the shadows, that they would come into your light and that they would be transformed by it eternally declaring you who has done it. Father, we love you and we thank you for King Jesus who we abide in, that we cling to because he has qualified us to know you. It's in his holy and precious name. Amen. Today, if you need to make a decision to trust the Lord as your Savior or you just need someone to pray with you, 
I'll meet you right at the Next Steps area alongside of several others to help you take your next step.